0: Welcome to Barron Talks. I'm Chancellor Ralph Ford, where we have discussions with people in the community here in Erie and our faculty and staff in the Barron community. Today, I have a special guest, Ashley Walters. Ashley is the president of Onyx Corporation. Welcome here, Ashley.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, thanks for joining us. Well, I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to read your bio. So if you'll just be patient, I'll go through this. You've done a tremendous number of things. You are the president of Onyx, an eerie company that designs, builds, and services industrial furnaces across the eastern United States. You oversee a team of 50 employees, and in the last year, you transitioned the company, which had previously been privately owned, to an employee stock ownership plant. You hold a bachelor's degree. In Chemical Engineering from Auburn University. We very much appreciate the fact that you are a member of our advisory board or the board of visitors for the School of Engineering here at Penn State Behrend, and you've been very active in supporting our women in engineering programs and have served as keynote speaker. This past December, though, you had a real milestone in that you published a book, Leading with Grit and Grace. A Journey in Organizational Cultural Change, and we will talk about that as well. So, again, welcome here. Thank you. So, you know, I always like to start a little bit. Tell us a bit about, um, we'll get to Onyx. I'd like to hear your story. How did you end up in Erie, Pennsylvania?
1: Um, I ended up in Erie, Pennsylvania because I married Drew Walters, who was from Erie, Pennsylvania, and his father owned um, Onyx.
0: He owned Onyx, and then, you know, as you talk about in your book, you got the call at one point back in 2013 or so where his father called you and said, I need I need help running this company, and I need you to move to Erie, right?
1: Yes. So he didn't tell me I had to move to Erie right out of the gate. He left <laughs> that little detail for later. Um, so I spent most of uh, the next six months traveling every other week. Uh, to Erie, Pennsylvania. And I got to tell you, as a girl from the south, we don't know how to drive in snow. So uh, (laughs) that was a whole learning experience in itself. But um, my husband and I moved with the family in 2014 to Pittsburgh. Uh, We have a second location of the business in Pittsburgh and then moved on uh, to Erie in 2016 to be closer to the manufacturing operation.
0: Wow. And then eventually you became the uh, CEO of the corporation. And when did that happen?
1: So I became the president in 2017.
0: 2017. All right. Well, we'll talk about some of the details and the lessons that you have have learned through that. But first, let's talk about Onyx. Tell our listening audience, you know, who is Onyx? What do you do?
1: So Onyx is a company that was established in Erie in 1966 by two gentlemen named uh, Jack Gordon and Alex Morehauser. So our name comes from the O.N. in Gordon and the E.X. in Alex. Um, at the time, there were a whole lot of foundries in Erie, Pennsylvania, and these gentlemen were supplying refractory materials into the foundries. We've since grown up and gone on to service other heat-intensive industries, such as the forge industry or the aluminum industry. And we've also expanded our product offerings from just refractory material distribution to the installation of refractory materials, uh, combustion systems, as well as designing and building custom furnaces.
0: Is it a really, do you have a lot of competitors in the space or is it really specialized what you do?
1: So there are a lot of competitors in the space, but there's different competitors for different product lines. We're the only uh, full service shop for industrial furnaces that I know of.
0: Okay. And uh, you're located, where, where are you here in Erie, by the way? Right on 12th Street?
1: We were over um, on Colonial Avenue, but our building burnt down in 2003. We had a lightning strike come in, and it was a really windy night, so it sent the building straight up in flames. We moved across the street um, and stayed there until 2016 when we moved the operations uh, over on Bacon and 10th Street, closer to WabTech.
0: Well, Erie's a, a natural fit for Onyx, I assume, with all the foundries that we have here. So it's a good home base for, for the company.
1: It is. There's a lot of foragers in the area as well, um, and then the aluminum industry. So a lot of heat-intensive processes in the area.
0: Let's talk about this transition in 2013. So the company was, uh, was struggling, and, I mean, it must have been quite the surprise and honor for you to be, you know, for you to get the call from your father-in-law to say, you know, come here. What was happening to the business at that time?
1: Yeah, so at the time, Drew was running the southern branch of the business. They had decided to expand that in 2002. And I had worked for the company in 2003 uh, as a technical sales rep. 2009, our first baby came six weeks early, and so I ended up being a stay-at-home mom to a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So I knew that the business was struggling. We had a gentleman come in um, to help us turn it around. The issue was that he led with a very command and control style, and there was a lot of fear in the organization. So in 2013, uh, I had offered to implement an accounting system for the, um, for the company, and he did not um, believe that we should implement a new accounting system. So he left the company, which led my father-in-law to um, bring me in as general manager.
0: Now, you're, we'll talk about the cultural change, but your background is engineering. Yes. But here you were in a finance type role as well. How did that happen?
1: Um, I didn't know, uh, how hard it would be to implement an accounting system with an engineering <laughs> degree.
0: <laughs> I see. <laughs>
1: um, but I can say I learned a lot about the business and the finances, uh, very quickly.
0: Well, it's always important, you know, the best, in my experience, the best CEOs, they understand the the business, the product, but of course, you know the finances and having a a great you know CFO. I've always just found it is a is a tremendous asset. I find that here at Barron, I find that uh, to be the case in a lot of the companies that I work with as well. So if you've got that experience and your CEO, that feels like a winning combination to me. <laughs>
1: Well, now I have a great controller, and I couldn't agree with you more. I was happy <laughs> to give up that hat
0: <laughs> well, so when you took over, there was the command and control approach, and how did you you know what what was your first step? How did you start to transition it to what you espouse in your book about different leadership style and a different leadership approach?
1: So I think the first thing was to note that I didn't know everything. I couldn't possibly know how the company was running and all the different processes. So I tried to learn as much as I could, by asking curious questions. Um, That was first met with, I would say, just a little bit of resistance because they didn't know whether I was there to berate them for doing something wrong or whether I was just there to help make things better. Um, So I started by hanging out Think Outside the Box posters and I found a little award with a man sitting outside of a box and I recognized people as they brought uh, to our attention processes that could be improved. And that was really what started everybody having a conversation. Uh, we also implemented lean principles. Uh, value stream mapping was the very first thing that we did in the organization. And that really got everybody collaborating together and talking about the processes and talking about how we could improve. Um, and since then we've gone on to do other lean uh, types of activities such as Cata to teach problem solving.
0: So you took it from this command and control to far more of a team-based approach? So you threw the order chart out?
1: Yeah, I would say that we um, are definitely a more democratic style uh, now. I really want to hear everybody's opinion and everybody's thoughts on the process. My dad was the one that um, gave me this idea and advice when I came out of engineering school. He told me just because I had an engineering degree didn't mean I knew anything. And uh-huh. I, that's right. you know, <laughs> thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. Um <laughs> He said you need to go to the plant floor and be there with the personnel that are doing the work. They already know the solution to the problem that you have. And He said just go and talk with them and be with them and ask their opinion. And he said that will get you so much further. And I really took that advice to heart uh, as we started the turnaround for Onyx.
0: And I assume that didn't happen overnight. I mean, it might feel like it it did now. But I'm going to imagine that was a difficult process going in and talking to factory workers and those who had been there for a long time who say, who is this person from the outside? You're also different. They're not accustomed to maybe a female CEO. I'm sure there were some bumps and bruises along the way.
1: Uh, There definitely were, but it got to the point where they would tease me and tell me that every time I pulled on a string, I unraveled a whole sweater. So (laughs) (laughs) they were they were overall accepting, uh, knowing that I was trying to make things better. And uh, they gave me grace when I made mistakes.
0: They gave you grace. And we want to talk about, you know, you've talked quite a bit in your book. Of course, that's the main theme of grit and grace. So why don't we just go there right now? Um, wh- what do you mean? So start start with those two as being the fundamental uh, points of, of of your management style.
1: So grit, to me, is something that my parents instilled in me. Um, we are a multi-generational manufacturing family. So determination, resilience, persistence, those were all things that we learned growing up. But they also instilled grace, and that's empathy and compassion for others. So from my childhood, grit and grace have always been a part of, you know, just who I am and, and how I live life.
0: Do you have any recommendations or thoughts? I mean, grit is, a, is an important characteristic, so to speak, that we hear about quite a bit. And it's true because that ability to create resilience and, and to be resilient. I mean, geez, going through the pandemic, you can't think of a greater time for the need for grit uh, than right now. But, I mean, thoughts as to how parents and school systems and the others develop that?
1: Yeah, so for me growing up and what I try to do with my kids is allow the children to have freedom to fail. And we also do this in our organization. So what that means is allow them to make their own choices and be there to support them when things don't go the way that they thought that they were going to do. Now, I don't allow my children to jump off the second-story banister onto the couch. You know, we don't allow uh, Mm high-risk failures. But each time you you fail, each time you have an experiment and it doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to, is an opportunity for learning.
0: Yeah, and there are a lot of different ways you can work with your kids to have them, you know, try things and fail. They don't all have to be, you know – physical although certainly that's that that can be part of it as well uh and with your employees takes a lot of patience sometimes too to really sit back and say oh that you know uh yeah that didn't work and it may have cost us but you know then to get the team to figure out how to reflect on it and fix it i i find that's a real skill
1: it's really worked well for us I would say, you know, a lot of people question like that freedom to fail because failure is not really allowed in the workplace. In some instances, I would argue that failure and mistakes do happen in the workplaces. And they're just hidden from you if you aren't making it a psychologically safe place for people to bring those failures forward so that you can address them and flush them out of the system.
0: I mean, that's the whole idea behind, you know, you talked about lean and value stream mapping, isn't it? It's to get the teams to know what they're trying to achieve. And they figure out all, you know, how to solve the problems. They have their work cells or whatever else it is, you know, that's relevant to your environment.
1: Correct. And when they're involved, then they're also uh, more accountable, too, right, when it was their idea.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even if you know it, sometimes you have to sit back and just, you know, and, and as you said, often you don't. But if you do, you have to sit back and let others figure it out on their own sometimes. that That's not always easy as a manager, as a leader.
1: You sometimes it's easier just to say, do it this way and move on. But it's a lot better for everyone if you allow people to think.
0: Now, with your children, you talked about your children and learning. And do you see them uh, someday leading the business? Do you think it goes to the next generation?
1: So I would love for them to work at Onyx one day. Um, statistically, we have an issue. In the second generation, uh, 30% of family businesses are successful. But when you get to the third generation, only about 13% are successful. So while I would absolutely love for them to work at Onyx one day, um, the statistics are uh, against us.
0: They are, but that doesn't mean that without careful planning that, you know, if they're interested. I mean, first they have to be, and there's a whole lot that that goes into this. And I, I talk a bit because, you know, this is one of the things that interests us, particularly in this community, is that we like to keep the businesses here. We don't like to see them sold out to other companies that often will then turn around and sell them to another, and before you know it, the value is lost. So it's of great importance that they stay here. And, in fact, our School of Business is working very intently on family businesses and working with them in programming, as well as some of, like, the Manufacturers Association. So there is an art to it. It's not easy, but the first step is your children have to even – They've got to want to be in the business, and they've got to uh, see that career path forward. So are they thinking of being an engineer? Is your husband an engineer?
1: Yes. Drew's a mechanical engineer uh, from Auburn University. Currently, um, my kids are interested in design and engineering. One wants to be an aerospace engineer, and one wants to design shoes for Under Armour or Nike.
0: Well, see. Uh, <laughs> by the way, we have a famous grad who uh, – she graduated from the plastics program and she designed shoes for Nike for a long time. So if you need an introduction, we'd be happy to uh, to do that. She's really a fascinating person. Her name is uh Tiffany Beers. So well, that's a long ways off. You've got a long way to go in uh growing this company and seeing it be successful before you get there. Uh but it's it's uh it's a good part of the discussion. So let's uh let's talk a little bit about during this pandemic. How has Onyx fared during the pandemic?
1: So the company has done really well during the pandemic. Um, we certainly had a few months that were very slow from a sales uh, perspective, but we were also able to push forward and get some things done around the plant or in the design teams that we wouldn't have, you know, maybe been able to accomplish um, without the pandemic. Um, however, a lot of things have changed, you can imagine from procedures and a policy standpoint, right? Um, mm-hmm. We were deemed essential manufacturing and uh, we did keep the doors open. We never shut the doors. You can also imagine that from a manufacturing standpoint, sometimes we're not always great with the newest, greatest, latest technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a real learning curve as businesses were being closed and we had to transition to remote work. Um, so we've definitely been very busy from a procedures, policy and technology standpoint this year.
0: Well, like the rest of the world, you probably joined, we we call it, you know, Zoom University uh, or Zoom meetings. It's become so ubiquitous, we don't even think. But it was, a, you know, less than a year ago. Last March, this was all new. Many of us knew about Zoom, but not everybody. It wasn't such a common term. All right. But you've got to get people the, you know, the technology, the equipment at home. And uh, as we know, we're doing this interview. I like to do these interviews normally, by the way, in my office face-to-face, but, uh, of course, we're we're doing this uh, via Zoom. But also during the, the pandemic, y- you made the transition to an employee-owned program. I mean, how did that process go, and how what was the thinking behind that?
1: Yeah, so in November 2019, I sat on a succession planning panel with the Northwest IRC, and Kevin McPhillips from the Pennsylvania Center of Employee Ownership was there to give one of the um, keynote addresses, Uh, on ESOP and after the program was over, I went and I sat with Kevin and I said, you know, kind of gave him some background about Onyx. And I said, do you think that this would be an option for us in the future? And he said, I think it would be an option for you now. And so we kind of started to dig into it. I came home, I told Drew about it, what I learned. And uh, he said, Ashley, you've got it all wrong. There's no way this isn't possible. And uh, so we watched every YouTube video we could find on it, which turns out there aren't that many. It's not very known about in the business community as a potential uh, transition tool. Um, so we got with our bankers and our lawyers and, and figured out that it was an option for us. So in March of 2020, the the week before the pandemic struck and all the businesses were closed, we mm-hmm. had invited our entire leadership team to come and sit and listen to Kevin McPhillips talk about what an ESOP was and what it would mean for Onyx. Um, we're a pretty small company, so we didn't want any rumors flying that we were selling the business. We wanted them, the leadership team, to be on board from the very start. The next week, businesses were closed, and one of the leaders came to me and he said, well, I guess that means the ESOP is off the table. And my response was, no, it made good business sense in December, and it still makes good business sense now. So we're going to do everything we can to forge ahead.
0: Well, in a way as well, you know, through the pandemic, that maybe. Made people consider that they're owners too, and they have to help everyone get through this. So kudos to you in making such a significant transition during these difficult times. Um, I want to talk uh, uh, go back to your book and uh, your management style. You talk about coaching. You spend yeah. a lot of time. So talk to us about the important of co- importance of coaching and how you actually implement that and and uh, why it's so important.
1: So we. Implemented every year, I start with a wildly important goal. And I've started, I started that in 2018. What I found was previously our board of directors would provide me with five major goals for the year. And then they would have five mini goals and under the major goals. And before I knew it, I had 25 goals that mm-hmm. I was supposed to accomplish when my day is probably 90% task oriented. Right. So it was too much. It was too much change. It was too much chaos in the organization. Nothing was a priority. In 2018, I decided to change the way we did things. And I said, we're going to have one wig, one wildly important goal. Each leader of each team is going to pick the battle that they feel is most important to fight to win the war. And then their team members are going to pick their personal individual goals. And it looks a lot like Kata. So you, you say what you want your goal to be by the end of the year. You define your current state and you experiment along the way while measuring your progress. And so that means that the, the leaders can check in with their team members and they can say what's going well, what's not going well. They can course correct. If we end up with a pandemic, we can really pivot and be more agile.
0: And yeah. uh, what was your first, you know, can you can you say like what was your first big goal or, or can you give us an example?
1: Yeah. So the first one was revenue growth. So 2018 was really focused on revenue growth.
0: And, you know, I wanted to to switch over as well to your passion and how you got involved with Penn State Behrend. And uh, I think it was first through our Women in Engineering program, and you're very passionate about supporting uh, women in engineering, women in manufacturing, and you're involved in some boards and national manufacturing programs as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I started um – um Melanie Ford asked me to come and speak for Women in Engineering, which is a recruitment day for high school students uh, at Penn State Barron um, into their College of Engineering.
0: Now I'll tell you, what we we've been running that program for a long time, and the, there really is a tremendous amount of proof. I'm gonna brag a little bit here as well, and, and thank you for being part of that, that it changes the minds of young women when they see Uh, People like yourself, and we have many throughout the the day, and we run this program multiple times throughout the year. It makes a big impact on them. Did you have a similar experience when you were younger?
1: Uh, So my experience was a little bit different. Um, So I obviously am female, and I was really good in math and science. So I said to my mom one day, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be a math and science teacher at the high school level. And she said, nope, we're not paying for you to go to college to be a teacher. And I said, wait, why not? You always say we need good teachers. And she goes, we do, but you wouldn't be a good one. (laughs) (laughs) You knew you, huh? (laughs) You can tell my parents are full of tough love. Uh, So I said, okay, well, what do I do as a female that's good in math and science? What are my other options? And uh, it just happened that... North Carolina State, their Taffy program, which is the Pulp and Paper Industries uh, Trade Association, was coming to my father's plant and putting on a presentation for chemical engineering with a focus in pulp and paper. And so we attended that event, and I was, I believe, the only female there. I know, shocking. Um, and that is how I ended up on the chemical engineering pulp and paper path.
0: Well, well we're so happy that you're uh, not only involved there, you're involved with our our board of visitors and our we have a fairly new uh, director of the engineering school Dr. Tim Kurzweig so I know he's been uh, very keen on getting you involved in that board
1: yes it was great to be involved in that first meeting of the board of visitors I learned a lot
0: well I'll tell you it's uh, what we believe is a a long-term relationship so we hope that you stay involved we you also hire our students and you, you sponsor projects here as well don't you
1: I do. I hired two of your METs in the middle of the pandemic. You did? <laughs> yes. So they're now employee owners here at Onyx.
0: Well, I hope they're, we hope they're working out and uh, doing well already. We, we do think that, you know, our graduates, we find that they're able to adapt well. And uh, I hope that's the case for you as well.
1: They've been outstanding team members. They've jumped right in. Um, They've applied what they've learned in school. They're very hands-on. They're making us a better organization um, because, you know, they're more familiar with the new technology. You all have done a great job training them.
0: Well, I'll tell you, then they come back and they can sponsor projects, and they're often willing to get involved with the uh, university as well. So it tends to be this nice virtuous cycle. Well, we're coming to the close of our time. And, you know, is there anything that uh, you want to, that we've missed or that you'd like to add or talk about the future of Onyx?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, Onyx is here to stay. We're really excited to be an ESOP. Um, As you noted earlier, sometimes when you sell to a third party, um, they dismantle the the organization. And I know that's not true for all, Um, but, you know, Onyx is going to be here for generations to come. We're really excited that um, we have the employee owners who are all on board and proactively working to make this a better place, so we know our future is bright.
0: Well, that's a great story. And one last thing. Uh, How about a plug for your book, Leading with Grit and Grace? Where can people find it?
1: It's available on Amazon.com, and I think the coolest thing is when you hit order, it goes to print.
0: It goes to print. Very nice. And I appreciate the copy that you sent me in advance. I enjoyed reading it. It's been a pleasure having you here today. Uh, Again, my guest today is Ashley Walters, the president of Onyx Corporation here in Erie. Thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for